moving on today, we took a look at the situation in Europe, as well as the uh, rationalism followed by pietism. Uh, then we saw with that situation how they were coming over to America, and initially it was kind of individuals that then tried to gather together into groups, and then a little small, uh, larger groups, uh, Henry Melchor, Muhlenberg, uh, forms the General Senate, starts grouping them together, Pennsylvania Ministerium, some of these other ones, and... Uh, they were trying to, at uh, about the time that we're going to have the immigrants coming over, that was last week, the, uh, they were starting to group, trying to form a general senate, and what could they do with that? There was confessional awareness returning, and uh, that caused some unusual uh, arguing back and forth. Some synods added the confessions later. We had the Henkels, which were confessional, fighting with the North Carolina Synod, uh, those kind of things. Last week, I started with the situation in Germany, kind of Prussia, Bavaria, Saxony, um, Silesia, all, all of these, and how they were... Uh, being persecuted to one degree or another in Prussia uh, with imprisonments and, and things of this sort with the Prussian Union. We saw in Saxony, not quite as much, but mainly with the rationalist uh, being in charge of, of the state church and uh, what it was doing with, with those in Saxony. So, uh, that's what we took a look at last time, Prussian immigration, Saxon immigration. We saw that at the end that there were primarily geographic regions that had formed synods uh, together. <coughs> but with the coming over of the immigrants there were those of ethnic origin. So even though there might be a uh, two or three state group of Lutherans, when the Germans from Saxony came, they had their own grouping. And so then uh, we began to see that there was going to be, how, how are we going to work these things out? All right, so today... I got uh, a new set of sheets stapled together, uh, a little more information than we're going to read, but, but might be helpful for you uh, as we go along. Okay, so we get the immigrants pretty well. We get them over here. I gave you a little bit. Let me, I'll quickly rush through, but I, I want to show you what happens once they get over here. Uh, one of the Norwegians talked about him last time, Klaus Clausen, uh, was sent over here. He was not ordained at the time. Uh, after he got over here, he served several congregations of sorts. He was going from New York to Wisconsin uh, to go up there and serve the Norwegian communities up there. There were several of them, Jefferson Prairie, Rock Prairie, Muskego, Hoskong, um, as he's on his way, he 
stops off in Buffalo, where Pastor Bravow is. You might remember he brought over a large group of, of immigrants from Prussia. Uh, they came, you might remember, uh, came into New York, uh, moved on up to Albany. A small group stayed there. Many of them stayed in the Buffalo area where Grabau was. Some 40, 40 families pushed on to Wisconsin, uh, up near Milwaukee, formed the Freistadt Congregation. Um, many of those up there were from Silesia. You might remember Prussia was a little bit bigger. It was a, they joined with, with this immigration. So his are spread out just a bit. Uh, as he was introduced to Grabau, Grabau asked him about where you're going. Well, I'm going up to you know these Norwegian settlements. I'm going to serve them up there. Uh, Grabau had a little bit of concern. He said that they were being served up there um, by that ought to be the word lay, not walk. <laughs> oh, I don't that. <laughs> served by lay preachers, um, which was the Norwegian tradition. Again, sense pietism, that often this kind of lay preachers would come up and, well, if you were sufficiently moved by the Spirit and you were a pretty good uh, speaker, fine, you know, uh, all those rationalistic pastors are a problem anyway. Well, he speaks to, uh, to Clausen um, uh, concerning that this was going on, as well as Clausen, who was not ordained. Now, Grabau is not uh, crazy. He does understand that there are emergencies. He understands that the situation in which we're trying to get the church going, and yes, people are spread far and wide. Nevertheless, um, you know, uh, what starts off as an emergency can often... Uh, become settled into here's the way things are and Grabau quickly realizes listen, um, you're going up this way to Wisconsin guess what? We got people up there. We got pastors up there. There's no more an emergency. Uh, You can be served. Now we're not talking one pastor per congregation but uh, in which pastors can go and serve many congregations and uh, so he speaks to him about this. Grabau <clears throat> is very pleased with the discussion that he has with Klaus Clausen. And so uh, he sends a letter up to L.F.W. Kraus, who is the Salesian pastor who came over with him, who is faithful to Grabau, uh, and uh, introduces him. Clausen goes up, uh, speaks with him, and after quite a bit of discussion, as well as training of source and his desire to be ordained, uh, he actually, Kraus ordains them on October 18th, 1843, up in Muskego. So, you can see that there is uh, some uh, discussions that often go on between these various immigrant groups. Uh, this happens to give us one of the uh, positive uh, interactions that happens between them. So you're saying because of the situation, he did an ordination which we consider to be 
have to be done by the congregation accepting a new pastor. Right? No. No. Okay. Um, and And I'm... As we're going to get into the discussions about ministry, um, I'm going to be real particular. I probably would kind of go, yeah, you're pretty well got it right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm going to parse the words and and be real careful with this. I'm listening. Gravel's concern is that the person is a layman Mm -hmm. and not ordained, not Mm -hmm. called and ordained. We would Mm -hmm. say... He is not a pastor. Mm-hmm. As we go on, we're going to take a look at um, uh, what Graval thinks needs to happen mm-hmm. concerning this. So, the concern at this point is not about what kind of call ordain, whatever. The concern at this point is simply between lay and ordained. Should we have laymen preaching, teaching, administering the sacraments, doing things? He says, you know... There may be a time in which uh, uh, the Lutherans are so far apart from everyone else and children need to be baptized that you might have the father or a layman read a sermon, do some things, and take care of things. Mm-hmm. He says, listen, it, it's past that point. We now have institutions. We're training people. You, you can have ordained, called, or ordained clergy. Mm-hmm. So that's the concern. Okay. Um, I'm going to come back to uh, the other. And so that's exactly what happens. Now, uh, let's go back and take a look at <coughs> Graval. Graval, you remember, left Russia, uh, came with five boats, over a thousand people. Again, probably the largest immigration. I think that the Saxony one was six, seven hundred. That's something like that. Um, Talked about under Klaus Nussen. So in 1840, this um, uh, in 1840, Graubau writes a book, uh, uh, a letter called the Pastoral Letter. Uh, Der Herkenbrief goes on. Uh, all of the titles of their things are 25 words long. Um, it's intended as an instruction for the people who were without a pastor. It's intended to be an instruction concerning, particularly up in the Wisconsin area, where he has sent Klaus, you know, talk with Klaus on where Kraus is up there. Um, and this document puts forth a confessional view of church and ministry. It's one in which he opposes uh, those who he would call vagabond ministers, those simply passing through um, anyone, those who would be laymen but not ordained preachers. Uh, He goes on to emphasize the need for ordination, the practice of a uh, sacramental life. Um, I can't remember why I put that there. Uh, Again, the concern being that there are emergencies where you might do the sacrament of baptism or, or something of that. Uh, nevertheless, uh, Lord's Supper, there is not an emergency Lord's Supper. It just doesn't happen. Um, so, he writes this in 1840. He sends it up to say, hey, listen, it's time. You guys need to uh, take care of this. Grabau is uh, worried, or, or is going forward with providing 
sets up a Martin Luther Seminary in 1840 in Buffalo, New York, um, and is working on serving the church. There often would be uh, discussions or agreements. Grabau thought when he and uh, he knew about the Martin Stephan immigration, thought, great, we can work together. So when he sent this letter out, he sent a copy over to the Saxons for them to uh, give their opinion and support uh, so that he might say, hey, listen, you know, here's what I'm doing. You guys probably have this kind of problem as well. He sends it to them. He gets nothing from them for three years. And when they do respond... Things have already happened, not only within their community, but also up in Wisconsin and things of that sort. Uh, and their response is, well, not real good uh, concerning it. In fact, they think that, that Graubau has uh, uh, wants to be ruler of the world kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, is their, their response to him. Uh, now, I'm, I'm doing my best to give you a kind of a neutral, straight view of things. Uh, but, uh, maybe you've seen some of these movies where they, you know, they, they uh, have the story from one point of view and then they run back and go through the story again from another point of view and then you begin to kind of see the whole picture. I'd kind of like to do that. Um, I won't, but I'd kind of like to, you know, all of a sudden hit the reset and then go back and say, here's the way I was taught as a seminarian in Missouri and things of that sort, in which they told me, yeah, um, Graval was crazy. And thankfully, the uh, Missouri didn't get involved with him. And this Hirton brief is one in which um, he's pretty well telling everybody that I will tell you what to do in all areas of their life. And his view of the pastoral office is, is, is so high the Pope couldn't reach it. You know, That's what I was told. I didn't produce it for you. Um, but you can get a copy of his letter. Hmm. Did I read it? Not at seminary. I was told it was a mess. Um, this is his Puritan brief from Johannes Grabau. Uh, as he goes through, ooh, it's jumping around. You just skip the whole first page. I think I like that. Um, See if I can get it not to skip. Um, oh, there we go. Okay. So, this is his uh, pastoral letter. He starts off by quoting Augsburg Confession, Article 14, that concerning church government, he was taught that no one should publicly teach or preach or administer the sacrament without a proper call. Nisi is without, retable cautious, uh, without a right of vocation, without a proper call. And so, as he goes through, he says, there are those who are going around preaching like the Methodists, and they don't have a call. Um, and 
we need to uh, speak about this and check this because, again, uh, in emergencies, yeah, there may be some lay uh, use of uh, leading things, but what about a proper call? The following points belong to a proper call, which is seen as and believed to be divine in the church. Uh, number one, he goes through and says, all who administer the sacraments must not only understand how to perform such administration with some outward skill, in other words, they need to know which way to face and what to do and what to say, but more than that, they need to know things like why they are important, they need to know how and when, uh, they need to know how to defend and maintain the doctrines, they need to be well taught, uh, so they need to have a uh, education. It's considered part of the proper call that the person has not only diligently studied uh, the word according to but in addition has the gift of the Holy Spirit so that he can rightly use this knowledge. That is, so that he can distinguish long gospel as he is teaching. It's a proper call uh, uh, that he is to be examined and tested by those who are already ministers. That is, other ministers ought to come and check him out and make sure that he uh, does know his stuff. After such a testament, a, a testing, uh, they're still not ministers, but only those whom one can admit to church ministry and minister a sacrament. Um, that is, uh, uh, they're tested, then they need to be ad admitted. That is, the church itself has to say, yes, and ordination simply means you're a sent one. So you test them, and then the pastors say, yes, he's approved, and then they say, now, we are ordaining you, that is, sending you out into the church itself. When the congregation has no shepherd, uh, they have collectively prayed God every Sunday until it has found one, uh, elected this man by name, then uh, they set him before the existing clergy. So you have kind of the seminary approving him. Now you have uh, those others who are uh, locally around who are going to check him out. Uh, when he has made uh, such a confession that he teaches rightly, the clergy ought to lay their hands on him and they ought to follow the agenda of the church. That is, according to the rites the church uses. After ordination, uh, uh, he is to be publicly installed in that congregation with the service. And so he goes on. This is the divine order of the retable caucus, of which Dr. Luther says, the apostles, their disciples, observed it in this way, and that it must remain so until the last day. Sounds like a mess to me. <laughs> Does he sound crazy? I'm trying to pick out the crazy parts. So yeah, yeah, I mean, I, and, and so, uh, you know, he goes on to talk about, yeah, there's a great necessity of having a proper call. Um, this comes from the Lord Jesus. And so we talk about the pastor being divinely called, though there, yes, there is an election, a reception of the pastor. Um, but uh, he goes on to talk about a right understanding um, of a conferral of the office of ministry, it goes down to the small called articles. Um, it, it, it's a pretty good document. Now, concerning the accusation that 
Walther only wanted the pastor to deal with spiritual things, but Grabaus, and, and so here's the way it's set up. Um, if it's a spiritual thing, the pastor takes care of it, and then if it is uh, non, uh, if the scriptures, if it's listed in the scriptures, then the pastor uh, has authority. If it's not listed, then the people have the authority. And they say, Gravel came along and said, no, 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 the pastor is to be allowed, is is to be given obedience in all things of which the scripture doesn't forbid. To be real particular. I don't think it's quite that simple. Um, I think what Grabau was trying to illustrate is there are many things that involve the pastoral office that are not uh, uh, either scripturally right or scripturally wrong. If we use page 136, I can't say, thus says the Lord, he says you use page 136. But it does involve, well, spiritual things in a sense. Um, Grabau was not saying that the pastor ought to go out and tell you what, if you ought to plant beans or corn, or or things of that sort, even as it regards some of the worldly stuff, (coughs) church buildings, things of that sort. I don't think he was going to that way, but anyway, that's kind of been the excuse. Okay, so this is where we have uh, where we have Grabau, you've got the Hirton Brief, Let's go to the Saxon immigration, because all of these are, are going together. November 1838, the first two boats of five leave Bremen. Uh, it included C.F.W. Walther, his brother Otto Hermann, Ottomar Fearbringer, Theodore Brahm, Ernest Kiel, Ernest Berger, and Johann. Burger. January 1839, they arrived in New Orleans. Oh, 700. 700 passengers. Um, they wait a while, or wait a month. The smallest of the, <coughs> the fifth and the smallest of the ships doesn't make it. Um, lost at sea. They finally go up uh, with a paddle boat up to from New Orleans up to St. Louis. Uh, ooh, I have a uh, well, all right. They do establish a log cabin seminary up there in 1839. On the way over, <coughs> Stefan is in the first boat, along with all of the important people, the lawyers, the, uh, 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 those who are in high society, things of this sort, um, along with two of the pastors, uh, Otto... Uh, Herman Walther, I think Kiel is on that one. On the way over, they, Stefan and them, uh, decide that they ought to make Stefan the bishop. And so they have something called uh, Stefan's investiture. And so, I think it's Kiel writes up a document and says, listen, 
He's the one who started this. He's the one who got the immigration going. He's the one who put all this together um, of all of us that are going over. Now, when we were over in Germany, there was a bishop. There was things of that sort. Now that we're leaving, it's just a bunch of us pastors, five or so, that have resigned our call, as well as uh, Martin Steffen, who is a pastor. Well, to have this kind of organization, they decide to make him a bishop. When they get to New Orleans, they have to let the other ships know, and they let them know, hey, listen, we invested Stephen with the office of bishop. Um, we want you to approve it as well. And so there is an approval of this. Uh, they go up uh, the river to uh, Missouri, to St. Louis, uh, they meet as a, a, in the basement of an Episcopal church. And so this is uh, a community, a settlement, if you will. Uh, they're looking for <coughs> land. They find some land near St. Louis, Missouri, at a really good price. Stephen nixes it. Says, we're too close to the city. Uh, the urban city will corrupt the people. We need to go where we can have more control over them. They find uh, land down in Perry County. They buy 10,000 acres. Uh, from this, they uh, break it up into settlements, Wittenberg, Altenburg, Corona, Dresden, if you will. They also uh, have the people go to these various places within the settlement, and they give the pastors, Walter and some of those, uh, to, to preach and to take care of these kind of things. Now, uh, at the very beginning, they don't have a lot of, not everything set up. It's wilderness, and so not all of them can go down there. There's one group goes down, then the second group goes down, and, and uh, that's what's going on. Three months later, Pastor Labor... Uh, I think I left him off my list. Yeah. After I say that, <laughs> um, uh, Pastor Labor is preaching. He preaches on the sixth commandment and about confession that there might be forgiveness. What happens? Um, women start coming to him. Uh, he has four women individually, not together or in collusion, but at different times, come to him uh, and confess to adultery with Bishop Martin Steffen. This is um, this is May. I think it's May fifth. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Um, May 5th. I don't know. Uh, uh, anyway, confess to him concerning that. Um, knowing what this is going to do, he sits on it for a while to try to figure out uh, what about this. He ends up bringing Walter on it. They sit on it a while. Uh, finally, it comes, uh, they include one of the uh, layman in this in which then uh, they, they really have to act upon this. Um, they're, 
they're convinced that this is uh, truly what has happened. Martin Stephan has taken a group. He's gone down to uh, Perry County. Uh, he directs everyone to be wherever they are. See if uh, they decide that CFW Walther, Labor says he's not going to go down. Uh, they send CFW Walther down. Uh, he preps everyone in St. Louis concerning this. And then he goes down without being summoned down to uh, Perry County uh, to deal with this situation. Before he leaves, he leaves a statement for the St. Louis paper in which he says, pretty well, you know, um, we have been duped and, you know, sadly, uh, this uh, uh, man has been exposed and therefore, you know, we have kind of are, are, have dealt with this situation. Um, he leaves May 30th or no, May, I don't know, something. Leaves five days later, it's published in the paper. This is all before talking to Stefan about it, right? Yeah. Then he goes down to Perry County. Um, he arrives. The next day is Sunday. He says, I'm coming down to serve my congregation that is down here. I, uh, Stefan has uh, lead service in one place, uh, CFW Walther in another uh, Walther underneath an oak tree or something, I can't remember. Um, he ends up talking with the people that are down there and says to them, here's what's happened. We want to find out if you'll go with us. You know, do you support us in this matter? Um, uh, the people are with him. They've already, before they left, found out in whose name the uh, tract of land is in so that they can find out what to do of this. Um the next day, they go and confront uh, Stefan. He um, uh, really refuses to meet with the council of pastors, kind of these five pastors as well as the laymen that are there. Um, when things get done, they have told him that he has uh, committed adultery, he has misused the funds um, by his purchases, and they have accused him of false doctrine. The false doctrine is he's not willing to meet with the five pastors in order to go over this. So he's putting himself above them is, is the false doctrine. Um, he never confesses to it. They uh, lay this upon him say that it is true and says, listen, you know, here's what, uh, you can either face a trial, you can do this, um, or we're sending you across the river to Illinois and you're never to come back. <laughs> um, he takes Illinois. Um, that day there's too many logs going down so they can't send him over, so they put him up in a tent that night and don't even let him in the house. Um, the next day they ferry him across the river and drop him off. Uh, it's about, um, uh, he ends up going, to, to give you a little bit more, he ends up going to near Kaskaskia. Uh, he leads 
services there at the courthouse at Kaskaskia every other week for several years um, until finally he is called to a congregation near Redbud called Horse Prairie. He serves there about four months into his call and dies. Approximately four or five years after uh, uh, he goes across the river. Um, to kind of give you a little bit more of the history that kind of goes with this, when he when they left Germany, he was being accused not only by the rationalist pastors and all this because he was preaching the truth, because he had a call to a congregation where they couldn't quite control him. Um, although there were rules against conventicles, his congregation didn't fall under those rules. So often he would have meetings and they didn't like it, but they did the best they could. They would accuse him of scandalous acts, affairs, but were never able to prove it. Um, I think I showed you the, uh, the video of the one where he is out on a walk late at night. Uh, they say that this was pretty common and not just 10 o'clock, but coming back at 2, 3 in the morning. Um, uh, he had been arrested just prior to this. We know that he has a wife, Julia. He had 12 kids. Their marriage was not good. Many of the children were born blind and were sick, uh, sickly. When he comes over to America, who comes with him? His housekeeper. His housekeeper. His healthy son, Martin. Mm-hmm and no one else. Mm-hmm. He leaves his wife and all the sickly children in Germany. Yes, he is being taken care of by a housekeeper, as well as, you know, he's got a bigger house, and so he has uh, uh, other women who are helping to take care of things for him. Um, they do say that uh, after getting on board, the man who was quite open and speaking with everyone and was really a person became quite reclusive stayed in his room, didn't come out even when they come up to St. Louis, he stays on the steamboat next day, complains of a sore throat, uh, lives in a house, pretty well stays inside, they do many as they look back say, hey listen, his personality kind of changed concerning the things that, you know, as he lived in a house when many others did not, that, you know, well, it was a little bit uh, difficult to see him ordering wine when the rest of us <coughs> weren't, um, and that his controlling aspect, for example, with the land or, or other things, often was disconcerting, but they went on with it. Um, but again, all these are after the fact. What is kind of crazy is three months, I mean, just three months after they get into New Orleans, this all happens. Um, He's accused of mismanagement of crimes of adultery and of heresy, and the whole thing blows up. I'll stop there before I kind of push forward. Questions? Comments? I was just... I was just thinking that they did that on the ship instead of with making him bishop. Instead of waiting till they landed, mm-hmm. that was 
suspicious, I think. But yes. there are a move, you know, mm-hmm. political moves. So the the uh, the idea is that you know this is considered a settlement. We're all coming. We're trying to do this together for a purpose. And obviously, there are those that are. Uh, um, even along the way, begin to speak up about, oh, you shouldn't have done it that way, you know, and you're at sea for how long? And so he continues to try to keep them together, and usually by means of this kind of another letter of obedience. Um, Otto, uh, Walter was one of these that in the investiture document uh, promises to do better in, in being obedient to his bishop. Um, so there are things that, yeah, you're right. And yet, when you take a look at this, you know, if you're trying to keep everybody together and not, you know, yeah, you'd kind of like try to make sure maybe we didn't. So that's what they do. Nobody, though, complains till afterwards. Shirley? <coughs> now, the, the women that confessed to this pastor, you know, you said he sat on it for a while. Is that because it was a private confession and he didn't know if he could make this public? I've not done enough research. That is a concern. Um, uh, in the movie, <laughs> in the movie, they make it that there is the private confession and they don't reveal the women, but they act upon the accusations. Hmm. Um, well, see, uh, I was reading something the other day, because I've been looking yes. at him up and Walter up. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I had read, it said that his housekeeper went to the pastor and confessed privately. And then there was this thing where he, you know, he came out and told this publicly, and she was upset because this had been a private confession on her part. And oh. Um, there's concern about the confession. There's concern that there was no um, court. There was no, you know, he simply says, I'm not going to allow you to do that and all. Um, I, I'm, you know, there is concern. Uh, there is enough evidence in Germany um, and, and, and things that uh, it's pretty sure that he committed adultery and, and not once, but, you know, uh, uh, concerning. Yes, his housekeeper um, is one. Uh, before they can deal with her, she goes over to Illinois and stays with him until the rest of his life. Um, there is another woman you might remember in the movie where they're walking, and it's a young gal named Sophia. Um, uh, she, at one point, was put up in the attic of his house in Germany. Um, and his wife... Uh, kicked her out and locked the door to the attic so that she couldn't live there. Um, he broke the lock and, and so and there's enough going on. In fact, and I don't know, I mean, just to give you a little bit more, the you hear a lot about his being sickly and his sicknesses and that he can't sleep at night and he needs to walk and, 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 the, and the blindness that with his children. Um, there it's circumstantial, but there seems to be pretty good evidence uh, that he had syphilis. And that all of these things were simply a manifestation of, of, of that illness. Um, so, um, despite maybe there's things, you know, uh, um, I, I think it's, it, 
it, it may not have been dealt with in the best way, but um, uh, was there a problem? Yes. And so what happens? What happens is you get a whole bunch of people, you've got 700 people over here, and they begin to go, all right, what did we do? <laughs> right. Right? So four or five months ago, we left Germany, left our calls, left all our people, and the man who did this was a charlatan. Now, doctrine-wise, I find nothing wrong with, with his, his teaching. Um, in fact, there are books of sermons and things of that sort. However, because he was in prison in Germany, he wasn't preaching there. Once he got on the boat, he really didn't. One of the first times he preached was at the Episcopal Church at that uh, when they came. Um, the people from the newspaper came and came and said, well, and they wrote up an article about this new Saxon immigration that are here, and they mentioned about the people, that they were intelligent and, and well-reasoned, uh, and the service was well done. Nothing was said about Bishop Stephan and his sermon. Now, now, if you read stuff from that day, it was often... You know, you, that was a newsworthy item, what the pastor preached on, and you gave a summary of it. Um, I, what's going on with him? I don't know. What was his first name? Martin Stephan? Martin. No, I just now found it. I was going to say, this is a, a, you know, illustrative of what happens when, the, when a man who shouldn't be pastor is one. Because that's a lot of damage done there. Yes, it is. He actually was not university trained, but because of his connections with the Bohemian and the court preacher, um, he got to be pastor. And then he got called to that Bohemian congregation in Dresden. And in the first 10 years that he's there, the congregation increases sixfold. Why? Because he's the only guy preaching long gospel in the whole place. And people are flocking to him. Well, that creates a whole lot of trouble. He's doing six different services, or maybe seven on, on a Sunday, some in German, some in Czech, Bohemian, uh, and he is taking care of you know, all of these things. Um, I'm going to say he probably rises to popularity because of this and, and is completely unprepared for it. That being said, now... Where he did, he did go to two universities. He never actually graduated from them. Both of them, pietistic. As was all. I mean, Walter, all of them were. I also think, since somebody brought up this confession business, when, when, when a member of, of, of Pastor Henson's congregation confesses to him that I or some other clergy in Eldona made unfortunate advances toward, toward them, he's not bound to keep my sin secret. He is bound to keep who confessed that sin to you or to him. Because as, as the one in authority in the congregation, he has a responsibility to do something about that. And in this case, with, with Stephan, well, he's the bishop. You've got to do something. 
Now, I don't approve of the way they did it. <laughs> However, something needed to be done. So, um, I, I do want to move on. I want to make sure to get to the Altenberg debate, because this is the last part of this uh, piece of the puzzle. But can I ask a question yeah. just about the confession? Should it have been... Uh, let me make, a, let me make a statement. Oh. The seal of the confessional, individual confession absolution, uh, um, is always kept. It is never to be revealed. My ear is to be attuned. Um, I am listening on God's behalf. Uh, if I am called into court for whatever reason, I cannot reveal anything <coughs> of that. Luther has one example where he talks about if someone comes to you and uh, uh, confesses that they have poisoned the well in town, he says, you cannot divulge. He said, but as pastor, you better go stand by the well. <laughs> so, you know, the point being is that, you know, now, if, uh, um, as with anything, if you come to me and tell me that you stole a car, I, I cannot divulge that. You confess that I give you forgiveness, and then I talk to you and counsel you about how we need to go down to the police station, you need to turn yourself in for stealing a car. But if you are unwilling, I can't do anything about this. My job is simply to be pastor and the forgiveness of sins. Um, so, it isn't violent. I cannot uh, uh, break that, that seal of fashion. If, however, the women say, you know, yes, now that I've confess this, I wish to make this public, I wish to, uh, okay. Um, that's that's something else. But I, I don't want to go too far with that. Well, my question was, as that pastor, was he, should he, should they have approached it from an individual basis rather than making it public immediately with Stephen? It is very, I gave you such a rough overview. I, I'm there was a whole lot more than what happened with that. I can't, I mean, I'm just going to tell you, you know. I'm not asking what happened, I'm asking what should have happened. Yeah, and that's why I'm saying if I give you all of the details, it'll take an hour. <laughs> so I'm, I, I, I don't know if I can tell you what should have happened. Um, again, I, sorry, I'm just not going to go there. Um, I, I can go there another time, but, but not this time. Um, what happened? The congregation responds. The pastors try to take over. Um, the five, as a kind of ministerium, say, okay, Stephen is gone. We're going to administer this as uh, a council of pastors taking care of things. But they're still in the position that, at least with Stephen, he was in charge of everything. Now, not just what divine service to use, but where are we going to go, what buildings are we going to build, what we're going to do in the community. And uh, the laymen begin to speak up concerning this and go, listen, um, uh, you guys are all Stephens. That's the problem. The problem is pastors, they're, they, you know, if the laymen were taking care of this, we would not have this problem. Um, whoa. And so there is fighting about this. In fact, more so, they begin to go, wait a minute, C.F.W. Walter, you had a congregation in Germany. What did you do? Mm -hmm. I resigned my call. Yeah, to do what? For a legitimate reason? No, to follow, uh, you know, Stefan. 
yeah, we don't even think you're a pastor. And so he quits. Or I'm pretty, we don't know exactly. We're pretty sure the congregation, uh, um, rem, in effect, says, yeah, we don't want you preaching anymore. There is, you know, a whole lot of questions going on. Are we actually the church, or did we leave the church back in Germany when we came here? Do you pastors, are you actually pastors, or are you not? Sounds like you resigned your call, and you don't even know where you're going to get your call. Um, the church is back in Germany, and what are we doing here? And so there is pandemonium. And the pastors are trying to hold it together. They're studying to try to figure out what they can do. Uh, The people are responding. Um, There is one man in particular, Carl Weza, who was kind of the principal right-hand man for Stefan. He is a lawyer who uh, puts together a, while the pastors are studying, (laughs) he puts together a paper in which he puts out a theological treatise saying, yeah, we left the church. Yeah, you're not pastors. Yes, this is all a mistake. We need to go back to Germany. And that, in effect, causes even more uh, uh, fighting and and, and, and stuff among them. Um, What happens? Beza ends up going back. He's the only one. He's got the money, and he can do it. He and his daughter, right? daughter go back. Um, nevertheless, the paper that Beza writes is still around. Another uh, layman, a lawyer, Marbach, Franz Adolf Marbach, uh, picks up the mantle for the layman point of view, and in April 1841, they have a debate at Altenburg, um, not initially, but uh, uh, soon after, Otto Herman, uh, actually, I think it was Labor, I don't know. Uh, finally, CFW Walther picks up the, the cause, and they have a debate. Uh, it's called the Altenburg Debate. Uh, concerning... Um... Yeah. Go on over to go to past moving frontiers. Go to the one that has Concordia Theological Quarterly. Um, it's the one that says to the learned writing. Two sixty four is the. Alright, so uh, Beza in his paper outlines some things. He says the problem is is that the pastors um, are doing too much heady stuff and they're only writing stuff for the literate people. Second, he says the problem uh, is that uh, we need to empower the laity uh, so that they are in control. Uh, he bases this on something called the Doctrine of the Believers, uh, and he says that the 
priesthood of all believers, all the Christians, they have the keys of the kingdom, and they only allow the pastors immediately to use those. Um, he goes on to talk about uh, uh, uneducated preachers would probably be better, especially in emergencies, uh, which this is. Uh, he cites Ambrose and Augustine. Uh, in fact, going on, he says, such unlearned preachers, even ordinary Christians, may in case of need administer the sacraments. He includes baptism, Lord's Supper. Uh, finally, he outlines their vision and Vesa uh, says, whereas we are now, whereas we now entirely reject the whole Stephanite system in its entirety and its parts, which was entirely contrary to the pure evangelical Lutheran teaching. So we're getting rid of everything because of Stephan, and that would mean all of these pastors being in charge. Where does he get all this? His understanding of Lutheran doctrine uh, is quite telling. Uh, in his paper, he appeals, first of all, to Luther, second to Johann Arndt, uh, and then to Jacob Spainer. This is, again, where, why have I given you all this stuff before? Well, two out of three of these are pietists, right? Um, Luther's writing um, is, is, is fine. Luther, however, is not a systematician who puts together uh, the dogmatic uh, uh, things later where there are controversies. He does very well at, so often Luther can be misunderstood, and then, you know, that's exactly what is, is going on. Um, and so what do we have? Um, uh, he goes on, whoever holds to these three sterling heroes of our church, whoever learns to know them intimately, who grows to understand them, will not go astray. And so uh, Vesa, with his uh, paper concerning what they ought to do, uh, although Vesa is not the one doing it, it was Marburg, because... He had already gone back. Nevertheless, it is Vesa's rhetoric that appears to have carried the day at Altenburg. The Saxon clergy found themselves in an impossible position. Vesa incited the people to a party spirit. C.F.W. Walther left his congregation in Perry County, likely removed because the people had lost confidence in their pastors. Further on, as Mundinger, he wrote a book called the Church Government, argued Walther found himself compelled to address the claims of Vesa, and eventually chose to make Vesa's position the foundation of his teaching on church and ministry. Note that. The Vesa's position that the laity are in charge is when C.F.W. Walther, he adds a couple things to it, but that is his position then. At this point, Mundinger offers a suggestive interpretation. In this extreme exigency, in other words, in this emergency, and they couldn't do anything else, Walther made a virtue of necessity and adopted a realistic course. He accepted the principle of church government, which his lay opponents had gathered from the writings of Luther. Right, I don't think that's... <laughs> to these he added, from Luther, certain provisions which safeguarded the dignity of the ministerial office, that being his transfer theory, this would be not uh, uh, C.F.W. Walther's transfer theory, the doctrine of the divinity of the call, number two, the absolute authority of the word of God, and the permanence of tenure. Oh. 
Um, let's see if I can see if I can nail this uh, <laughs> as we go on. A couple things. CFW uh, Walther came up with a transfer theory. The transfer theory is this: the pastoral office belongs to the layman, and the layman transfer it over to the pastor. He said, we need to make sure that you know that even though the congregation is the one in charge and transfer it over and lets them do it, it is a divine call, the divinity of the call from God. Last of all, the word of God is absolute. It's not up for grabs. The word of God controls all of this. And finally... Uh, the pastor has a permanence of tenure. That is, he's not to be licensed for three years or something like that. He has a call and until uh, he dies. or, or uh, uh, As long as he is not preaching false doctrine or uh, committing indiscretions, he remains in his call. Um, this is what Walter added to uh, Beza's idea that it is the laity that are in charge uh, the laity are the ones that are preventing the pastors from becoming uh, popes in their congregation. And that he's going to, Beza says, listen, that's what always happens. you got to control the pastors. And so Beza sets up this fighting between uh, laymen and pastors. This particular article, and, and it kind of goes beyond our thing, um, goes on to talk about uh, how um, what has happened in Missouri and he, uh, and he goes back to these things and says because of these things that's why we got so many problems in Missouri is pretty well what uh, 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 this man Dr. Rast uh, says he says the result is an uncritical linking of polity, church polity congregational authority with ecclesiology of the church. This joining led us open to a radical development of democratic thought in the 20th century. He says, well, it's a completely different thing. But what's going on? He says, you've got the tyranny of the majority. Grass will go on to say, so here's what happens. He says, this transfer theory, you think that, oh, well, that's going to safeguard the pastoral office. No, the people said, well, if we transferred it to you, we can always Call it back. transfer it back. Oh, how about that? And this tenure uh, uh, in which you uh, is not time limited, well, if we control the money, we could stop paying your salary. You can still be pastor as long as you can live. Whoa. Uh, and the, uh, I'm sorry, what's the fourth thing? Uh, the divinity of the call doesn't matter if it becomes something where you can pull it back and forth. Um, the nature of democracy is compromise. And so that's what sets in order. I think it's probably pretty well said uh, when we get to the bottom of page 266, um, what Walter actually accomplished in 1841 was, first of all, he gave a new direction to a line of thought 
which had already been laid down by Beza, that he eliminated a few of its extremes and thus developed a position far more acceptable to the reasonable elements in both major factions. He defended his theological standpoint and his practical application to life in the communities with clarity and ability. If you go on to read, Grass uh, will talk about in the church the idea of everyone a minister, contemporary worship, all of these kind of things, Senate simply being advisory, uh, the voters' assembly being of uh, authority. When he finally gets to uh, the end, which is on page 268. Some would argue that the only solutions to the challenges which face American Lutheranism by association with the Missouri Senate is a return to Episcopal form of church government. He goes on to say, um, that's not possible. American democracy is a fact of our American existence. Here's the way it will be. We're simply going to have to deal with it. Um, But he does go on, and and, uh, I'm going to say, in normal Missouri teaching, uh, you have C.F.W. Walther, who goes back to Scripture and the Confessions and comes up with uh, a scriptural confessional uh, Missouri Senate, and everything is fine, and he saves the day. The ultimate assessment of Missouri's polity is striking in its historical implications. Quote, the peculiar type of decentralized government adopted by the congregations which formed the Missouri Senate was different from any polity that had ever existed or was then existing in Germany. In other words, what did he set up? Is it something that Luther set up? Is it something that... No, it was completely different. What was it? It was American democracy combined with the church. And that's what you were left with. Um, It's a little over... (laughs) I thought I could get more done than I could. Um, I'm going to have to stop there. Uh, We'll come back with Winnikin and Leah. Um, We'll see what Leah says about Walther's (laughs) setup. We'll see what Grabau says about Walther's setup. We'll see what happens as there is this interaction between uh, these groups as they are being found and um, how this leads then to uh, pretty well, I think it's... 18, 18, 18 or something like that. Um, Charlie? Well, I'm thoroughly confused. <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm gonna have to take this home and read it because I'm thoroughly confused. But now, um, we talked about the transfer theory. Okay, I can't tell from all this because I haven't read it if we're for it or against it. <laughs> but isn't that basically what scripture says because the pastor one of the things like the, the, the keys the pastor the, is the keys belong to the church the church gives that authority to the pastor isn't that isn't that, isn't that a transfer theory um yeah so um 
maybe I'll have to line that one out. Um, it's, it's, it all depends on how you speak of that. Um, Wather actually takes what you said and means something more. Okay? Um, you know, it's... it's I, I'm just not going to do it at 10.06. <laughs> Not if you want to have church at 9.30. <laughs> 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 Charlie, you'll have to come back next week. All right. Um, but I gave you on your white sheets, um, um, I gave you a summary from Moving Frontiers about the three kinds of Lutherans uh, that a, um, actually a non-Lutheran, Philip Schaff, uh, took a look at America and said, yeah, here's what the Lutherans look like. Now, he's obviously not Lutheran, and he's definitely not confessional. But he does a pretty good job of saying, yeah, there's three kinds of Lutherans. Uh, there's, the old, uh, there's the Lutherans that have been here for a long time, and then they don't even, you can't even call them Lutherans. Uh, there's the old Lutherans who are way too strict, and they even argue among themselves. And then there's the moderating guys, and we kind of like them because they're somewhere in the middle. <laughs> but you can see that with, with that one. And then I included for you a little bit more of that uh, document. The whole document is actually available online uh, for that. We'll come back to uh, uh, clear up confusion. (laughs) Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would always uh, direct your church so that uh, with our foundation upon the word of God, we might always have the comfort and assurance uh, that your Son Jesus Christ has forgiven us our sins and that we are in fact saints in your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.